Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the Hamilton Southeastern Schools Administration Building on Cumberland Road, and I'm here with Brooke Lawson. Brooke Lawson is the mental health coordinator for HSC Schools. She's very involved in teaching and learning as that applies to what's happening throughout the school system. And she's also very heavily involved in the Panorama Survey, which is a major reason we, we asked her to be here today. So, Brooke, uh, glad to have you back. We've talked before. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, today, the, the main emphasis of what I would like to talk about is the Panorama Survey. Uh, the Panorama Survey has been around for a few years. Uh, I would like to ask you just to give some background to those listening. How did it become a tool for HSC schools? How did, how did this whole thing start, and, and how did we get to where we are today? Sure. Um, so we started using Panorama um, back in 2019 um, when we received the Lilly Endowment Grant, um, which actually we received in 2017. Um, one big major component of creating a comprehensive school counseling program was to survey students and really build the programming and supports provided to students based off of what they say. Um, and so in 2017, or sorry, 2018, we used a survey with the the group that we were working with, with the Gold Star Counseling um, State Initiative. And we didn't really find that that survey met our student needs. There were lots of questions on there that we weren't necessarily um, concerned about. There were, the focus wasn't really what, you know, our students needed. And so we started looking for a new survey um, and a new instrument to use to gather student voice. And um, we found Panorama. There are national organization. Um, They work with districts across the country, um, and they specialize in social-emotional learning and supports and environment surveys for for students, staff, and families. Well, I do want to ask this question. I'm going to dig a little more into the Panorama Survey itself. I went and looked at all your data on the uh, Mm -hmm. website. It's very extensive. You really can learn a lot about Panorama looking at your website. Uh, But one thing that parents do have the right to do is to opt out of taking the survey. Each school year, uh, there's a deadline, I believe it was October 15th this year, that has come and gone. Uh, So my question to you is, do you have any any numbers or data as to how many families opted out of having their their, uh, students take the survey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so last time I checked with our academic achievement officer who kind of oversees a lot of our data work and works really closely with me with the Panorama survey, um, it was about 3% of students have opted out, 3 to 3.5% of students. So, um, And actually, when it comes to answering the questions on the survey too, if a student's not comfortable with a question or they don't feel comfortable answering a question, they can skip those questions and it doesn't... It, it still submits the survey for them, um, and no one's really checking that all of the questions are answered anyway. So um, students are, have the option to kind of skip around and answer questions and, or choose not to answer questions that they're not comfortable with. And looking over the data that you have, 
let's say this year or in the past, can you sort of tell which questions students maybe didn't want to answer? Is that is it is it just from the aggregate? Is it easier or difficult to tell that? Yeah. So we don't actually have access to how students actually answered the questions. We more have aggregate scores um, around how students answered questions. So sometimes you can kind of see when you look at aggregate numbers, like that there there's some differing numbers from the number of students who took one section of the survey versus another. But um, we don't necessarily see who skips what question. Okay. Uh, there's been a great deal of discussion discussion locally and, and other places uh, throughout the nation about social-emotional learning. Now, some have argued that the emphasis on SEL takes away from, let's say, academic focus. Mm-hmm. Others have argued that it is part of, of, of academic focus. I would like somebody who's heavily involved in it as an administrator, what's your view on all that? Sure. Well, I think um, when we think about students' ability to learn, and, and I often go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And, and, and the social-emotional needs of students have to be met before they really can get to that top of the pyramid, right, to self-actualization to high academic achievement, right? And lots of research has been done around social-emotional learning and schools that focus on social-emotional learning. Actually, um, the research has shown that their students score higher on um, test scores, so by like 11 percentage points. So there's lots of research out there that that shows the positive effects of schools placing a focus on social-emotional learning. And I'd also argue that when you don't address those needs of students, it takes a lot of time away from teachers' ability to actually teach content. But when you weave that into all that you're doing in schools, it really does support academics as well. I, I remember what, of course, you know, when I was in school, that was ages ago, mm-hmm. a long time. I went back to the mm-hmm. 1960s, and I knew a lot of my fellow uh, students, my friends who were in school. They were going through a lot of, of personal trauma. Just a lot was going on at home or in their lives that didn't necessarily directly relate to the classes they were taking. But, you know, in those days, you know, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and deal with it. And, and I always wondered what what might have happened had they had a, a kind of a support system. I also remember when I covered uh, a school system in the late 1970s, early 80s in Columbus, Indiana. Mm-hmm. We had a superintendent there that uh, talked about, you know, people say that the students come into school with all these issues and it makes it difficult for the educators. But he's the first person I heard in a position like that say, well, maybe there is something we as a school system can do about that. Mm-hmm. Is that what you are aiming at doing with the survey results and how it impacts social emotional learning? Mm-hmm. So we really use the survey in, in a couple different ways. Um, when we There are different sections of the survey. So there's a section that um, measures students' social-emotional learning competencies. And so we look at things like grit, growth mindset, self-management, emotion regulation, and social awareness, which I would argue all tie directly to academic success, right? If a student can't manage themselves, they can't stay organized, they are constantly hard on themselves, they won't take risks or challenge 
challenges, they're not going to be able to succeed academically. And so we use that to kind of help us to measure the success of our social emotional learning work. So we are teaching explicit instruction when it comes to that work. And we want to know, are students actually learning what we're teaching them? Are they able to apply it? And so this is one set of data. Um, It's student report data um, that we have. And then the other set of data is around supports and environment. So really, it's about school climate, right? And so we're asking students, you know, do you feel safe at school? Do you feel like you belong at school? Do you think that teacher, you have a positive relationship with teachers? And our principals um, dig into that data and really look at what is my school culture like and how can I improve it, which will in turn improve students' ability to be successful. It makes me think about... um, Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Stokes' um, superintendent's advisory student group, um, and it's students in grades 7 through 12 from um, buildings across the district. And one student said something that, that sticks out to me. She said, you know, when I think about the teachers who I have really good relationships with and I feel like they care about me, I'm doing really well in those classes. In fact, I've got all A's in those classes. And when I think about the classes where I don't feel like I'm connected with the teacher, I don't feel like I'm seen and heard in that classroom, I'm not doing as well. And so our students notice that too. Um, And that's something that's very important to them as well. When we talk about social emotional learning, one thing that I found interesting is that it it is actually embedded in uh, the code of the state of Indiana. It's Mm -hmm. actually something that school systems are expected to do. Yes. Um, What is the state of Indiana expectation on social emotional learning for school systems and how does that tie into Panorama? Sure. So um, the state, the state. The Indiana Code requires that you have a plan for addressing the social-emotional needs of students. And then um, there are employability skills that are actually tied to graduation, right? Students have to show that they can evidence these skills. And so that's one um, way. And then really, when you think about Panorama, that just helps us to measure the work, right? To measure our success, to make shifts um, in what we're doing. And also, Panorama gives us an opportunity to norm ourselves Um, nationally with other districts. So we can look at districts in similar size, similar locations, and see kind of where we fall. Um, And that helps us to kind of measure our growth as well. Material on the Panorama survey argues that it's it's a way to measure the student voice. And And I think what's I found interesting is this last Round of school board elections. I was I had a lot going on personally, and I, I announced I was not going to be able to do the usual podcast with candidates. Had a couple of students step up mm-hmm. and do the interviews. And what I found interesting and something I never would have thought to ask the school board candidates is this whole issue of how will you deal with the student voice. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought to ask that, and they. I asked all the candidates that Mm -hmm. question, and this directly ties into the Panorama survey. If you look at those questions, uh, you are trying to find out uh, if there is a consensus on the student voice or if there are a lot of different views on the student voice. You can look at the answers to those questions that can give you data to to measure that. So I want you to explain why the HSC school system feels that 
um, measuring the student voices is an important component of this process. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, it gives our student, it empowers our students, right? It's really important that they have a voice um, in their education, that they're able to tell us what's going well at school, you know, what needs aren't being met at school and how we can support them better. And so um, my favorite thing to do is to talk with students and, and to hear, you know, what they have to say about different situations. And so, um, again, like I said earlier, the, the panorama survey is one data point and, and it's an important one. It's the student's perception and, and their perception is their reality of what they're experiencing at school. Yes, I, and and when you look at the results, they are they're quite a limit. Do you, ever, I should ask it this way: Now that you've sifted through some data mm-hmm. now in the past years, were, was there anything in that whole area of student voice that surprised you as a as an administrator? And you look at the results and say, I really didn't expect that. Um, I think something just overall, the first time we took the survey um, or gave students the survey and when we dug into the data, one of the things I think that was a little maybe surprising for us to see was when we looked at the supports and environment um, sections of the survey, which looked at teacher-student relationships and sense of belonging, um, we saw pretty high teacher-student relationships and sense of belonging in our elementary and intermediate age students. But as students got older, that sense of belonging and those teacher-student relationships really dropped. And I know that every teacher in our district cares about students, right? And and we want all kids to come to school and feel like they belong. But what we noticed was that that's, that wasn't the case. And so um, Dr. Borf, when he was here, paid a lot of attention to that survey and really pushed our administrators to think about how they could, what strategies they might need to put in place to increase sense of belonging. Is it part of just the paradigm, the fact that when you're in lower grades, you tend to have one teacher most of the time, mm-hmm. and as you go further along, you you have more teachers? Do you think that's part of the dynamic, or is there more to it? I definitely think that's probably a lot of... Uh- part of the dynamic, right? But every student should feel like they can build relationships with adults, right? And like I said earlier, students will say, if I don't feel like an adult cares about me, I don't feel like I can learn from them. And so just making sure that we're able to, you know, respond to that data and and make sure that all students feel welcome. You know, in reviewing the general areas covered by these panorama survey questions, they vary by grade level to some mm-hmm. extent. But it appears just to be an effort to gauge how students like to view themselves, the whole school environment, as you mentioned, their teachers, and even other students. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you put that all together, uh, how do you you use that? How do you use that to make decisions as a school corporation? Mm -hmm. So I kind of mentioned we we look at the SEL data and we kind of measure – are the explicit instruction lessons doing what we are hoping, right? Are they helping students to to be, have more of a growth mindset, um, you know, to, to have some more grit so that they can persevere through challenges or um, manage their emotions better? And so we're looking at that data and also at the building level, our principals are responding to that, our principals and our school counselors. So maybe it drives a, a school counselor lesson in a classroom or, you know, maybe it's a school-wide strategy that they're putting in place, like something like community circles where we're taking some intentional time to build relationships with students um, or at the the high school level, maybe it's it's a um, 
it's something where the principals are looking at that data and being more intentional about what's offered in our school building in regards to clubs or extracurricular activities so kids can feel like they can get get involved and have a place where they belong. And I, I, I think you've, you've answered the question I was going to ask, but let me put it another way. It sounds to me as if this data is most useful at the building level, maybe the principal level, and, and maybe less uh, district-wide policy. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, it's it's really applicable at the building level. And then when it comes to our district-wide initiatives, you know, my SEL coordinators and myself are looking at that data and measuring how our, our work is, is going as well. So, but yes, it's really applied at the building level more. One question that, uh, well, I was going to ask you one other thing before I move on. Mm-hmm. I looked at some of the questions, especially the upper grades, even lower rent. This goes for lower grades as well. I did not see the word bullying. Do you use the word bullying in the questions? And if so, what, if if so, or if not, why? Why do you use or not use that particular word when when measuring students? Um, I think the word bullying can be a little. Um, what's the word I want to use? Um, sometimes overused, right, and used in a way that maybe wouldn't be appropriate for the, the, the state definition. So under our school safety questions, there are some questions about, you know, do people get in fights at your school? Are people disrespectful to one another at your school? And so we're asking more targeted questions, I think, and being a little more specific. So you can measure something. And, and bullying, of course, is one of those Phrases that has a different meaning to different people, yes. mm-hmm. but in general, it's. I think people know generally what it is. So, without using the word, you're still trying to measure mm-hmm. the atmosphere in the school as to whether it might be conducive to that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question that uh, has arisen about the Panorama Survey deals with protecting students' personal information. Just explain to me how that works. Yeah. So, um, you know, when it comes to the personal information, we're not sharing personal information with an outside party. Panorama is not sharing that information with others. And really um, what our school employees have access to is um, aggregate scores uh, that the students have. So a classroom teacher would have access to the students in their classroom only to be able to look at their aggregate scores in certain areas. So if I'm student uh, Larry... Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody in the school system is going to particularly look at my responses to do anything to do anything to or for me. Correct? They won't see your specific responses, but they might see something like Larry has a four out of ten on grit. And it actually, um, when teachers go in, they can then click on that, and it will give them strategies to use in the classroom to help Larry to improve. Um, so you're measuring. Basically, groupings of, yes, of questions yes. and not specific questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Under, that's a, that's understood. Okay. Um, one question, another question that has come up. If I'm a parent and I have a student in the schools taking the survey, do I as a parent have a right to look at my my own students' responses? Yeah, and we would love for parents to um, to – look at those scores and really have some conversation. I'm, I'm a parent in the district. I've seen my own child's scores and I would assume that most parents wouldn't be surprised. Um, I wasn't surprised by his answers either. And so again, they have access to those aggregate scores. Um, and that's a great conversation for parents to have with school counselors or even classroom teachers about how they can work together to support their student um, to be successful. 
you know, I attended a work session some time ago when the survey was first. I can't remember. I think it was Panorama at that time. Uh, and I saw the whole presentation, how it was being done, the sorts of questions that were being asked and responses that you know, would be expected. And it reminded me of a survey that I took while working for the federal government several years. I've been retired 10 years, but mm-hmm. it goes even further back than that. And the questions themselves were obviously different, but I could see very clearly that it was the same concept of trying to measure the workplace. In that case, the measurements were for their own workplace, the managers above them, right above them, higher up, what was your view of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you how do you feel about the decision-making process they use? Uh, what I found is in that survey, we had some very important successes in dealing with that data, but it didn't work in every case. So mm-hmm. sometimes we, we'd see data, and then I was heavily involved in that whole process, and then find out that, well, we tried to respond, but maybe that didn't work, so we would you know, try something else. Mm-hmm. I, I say all that to couch this question. When you as a school corporation try to determine or measure success mm-hmm. overall with the Panorama survey, how do you measure that? That's a such a good question. I've actually had lots of conversation even with Panorama on, you know, how do we say that the work we've been doing is successful? And I think, you know, it's a little too early to say, yes, the social emotional learning work is is working because last school year was really the first year that all students in grades K through eight received that explicit instruction. Um, and we're slowly rolling that out at the high school level. So I think that that is something that we'll continue to look at and we'll continue to watch. They say it really takes three to five years to really see a difference. Um, but even last year, despite everything that was going on with the pandemic, we saw huge gains in our teacher-student relationships, especially at the secondary level. Um, and we saw small gains in, in some of our social-emotional learning competencies with students. And so we'll continue to watch that. And, you know, that helps us to make shifts. Maybe there are lessons that students, you know, they're just not hitting the mark. They're not helpful to kids. And so we need to continue to kind of watch that. And and our lessons are actually aligned to the competencies that we're measuring. Well, I think it's interesting that, that you are saying that you're still able to begin that measurement or that three to five year process even with the year in which the pandemic threw everything mm-hmm. into into such a tailspin, it was so difficult for yeah. the parents, the teachers, the students. It was just and administrators. Everybody was working overtime trying to make that work. So what I'm hearing you say is that even with all that, even with all the pandemic noise going on around mm-hmm. all the time, you're in school, you're out of school, you're sort of in school, maybe yeah. so many days a week. I mean, it was just an effort to try to deal with the reality of a pandemic. And yet I'm hearing you say, even with all that, you did see some gains. We did, yep. And you're able to measure those gains, even mm-hmm. with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Interesting. My last question to you on this, uh, you are the mental health coordinator for the school corporation yeah. and have been since you came in. And, mm-hmm. and um that program has now had a few years that you had a chance to oversee that. Uh, how does this survey tie into your work in the mental health program? Well, I think when we think about social-emotional learning, um, when I explain that to people, I really um, look at that as, like, that's mental health for everyone. That's promoting positive mental health for all students because, 
you know, we all have mental health. We're all going to experience mental health challenges. And so we're going to need skills like social emotional learning skills to help us overcome those challenges. And some people are going to struggle with mental illness um, and they'll need access to more intensive supports. And so that's really how this work all ties together. I remember when I started working for the federal government in the mid-1980s, that particular agency implemented for the first time an employee assistance program Mm -hmm. and offered all these benefits. And when the, the numbers came in, they didn't know who was asking for the help, but the numbers of people asking for help well, to put it bluntly, was shocking mm-hmm. to the management. Mm-hmm. They had no idea that many employees needed that much help because they weren't telling their bosses that. Mm-hmm. They didn't want their bosses to know, for an example. Yeah. But what I'm seeing with the mental health program, and I've, I've watched this from the very beginning when it was funded through the referendum that was passed a few years ago, uh, that you brought in a contractor to help. And, and when, when you look at the number of people that are getting treatment or getting mm-hmm. help, and sometimes the families are brought in too yep. because that's part of the solution. How have you evaluated the numbers of people who have been getting help through this mm-hmm. HSC school mental health program? We pay a lot of attention to the numbers and the data of the students that are receiving mental health supports in our schools. And I'll tell you, Um, At the end of last school year, it was around 2,500 students that since our contract started in January of 2017 that have received supports through that partnership that we have with Community Health Network. And so if you think about that, that's just students. That doesn't include all of their families. That doesn't include their teachers in their schools because having mental health therapists in the schools is really helpful for them to kind of collaborate with the students, teachers. And, and other staff that come in contact with those students. So that number is doesn't really scratch the surface of all of the people that have been impacted by that work. But if you look at 2,500 students and uh, what is it? I think it's 21, just under 22,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's gone a little bit down, but it's still, yeah. st- I mean, you're, you're talking about 2,500 out of 21, 22,000 students. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's a healthy number of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have obviously feel that you've uh, – I, I should put it this way. Do, do you think people are surprised when they hear that number of 20 – it could be like 2,500 students, and they're, as you mentioned, there are other people impacted by that help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, uh, is that a number that you think is important? I think it is important. Um, I don't know how surprising that is to others. Um, but if you think about, you know, the, the – excuse me, the statistics on mental illness, right? One in six people will struggle with a mental illness in their lifetime. And so, you know, we're lucky too in this community that we have a lot of other resources. We have other great mental health providers in the community who are also serving our students. So that doesn't, that's not all of the students in the district struggling with mental health issues is what I'm trying to say. There's many more students who receive support in different ways. Well, we've almost uh, filled up our 30 minutes here. It goes quickly. Uh, I guess I would give you this opportunity. I mean, I've asked several questions, Mm -hmm. but would you like to add anything about the panorama survey I didn't ask about or just in general your oversight of the mental health program here? Um, No, you know, I'm just really proud of all of the work that our school counselors and our classroom teachers and our administrators have done around this work because, um, you know, 
educators care about kids a lot, right? That's why they get into this field. And some of this work is a shift for them. Um, and they are all, I think, creating an environment where kids want to be in our schools and come to school every day um, and are taken well care of. So I'm, I'm really proud of all of that work. You're listening to Brooke Lawson. She is a mental, the mental health coordinator for the Haviland Southeastern Schools, also involved in teaching and learning, and uh, heavily involved in the Panorama Survey. That's been our major discussion point here. So, Brooke Lawson, thanks for coming back. Hope you'll join us again soon. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Music